Welcome to the PSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. These days, clean energy is the topic du jour, and on a recent interview with ABC's The View, newly appointed DOE Chief Jennifer Granholm discussed what the administration's energy policies can mean for future job growth. Specifically, Granholm said that coal miners whose jobs were phased out, intentionally otherwise, could mine the critical materials to go into batteries, and needless to say, her comments were a tad controversial. Now, we are a non-political publication, but these issues will affect our industry one way or the other. And in many ways, this exact debate recurs every time innovation threatens old technology with obsolescence. On the other hand, there is such a thing as early obsolescence, for better or worse. And we thought it'd be interesting to get the perspective of Almonte, which according to their site, specializes in acquiring distressed and underperforming operations and assets in tungsten markets. And on the line, we've got the CEO of Almonte, Louis Black. So Louis, welcome aboard. And could you briefly describe Almonte's mission? Well, Almonte is, is the largest producer of tungsten concentrate outside of China. China accounts for about 82% of, of tungsten. Tungsten is pretty much in every part of your, your life, whether it be defense, automotive, aerospace, medical, uh, all the way through to EVs, uh, 5G. So it, it, it's used in a, in a whole uh, plethora of, of uh, industries. And roughly 99% of all of our production is shipped into the United States. So we have a, a really good insight in the critical metal space uh, in the United States. Right, right. And, and, and of course, while doing your best to keep it apolitical, could you explain what the, the new uh, U.S. administration's policies could mean for coal and, more importantly, coal miners? Well, I, I think that, I mean, um, I think initially there's always a knee-jerk reaction by any administration when they come in. Um, and I think that they're now conducting the 100-day review across the board regarding uh, supply chains. But I think in regard to coal, um, I think this is a very uh, tricky uh, subject. I, I, I really, and it's not just unique to the United States. Um, the world is, is centered around carbon fuels to produce electricity. On the one hand, there's a huge push to increase the consumption of electricity. And on the other hand, there doesn't seem to be a, a, an enormous plan of how to replace carbon-generating fuel uh, uh, facility, you know, electricity-producing facilities. So I, I think this is going to be a, a rocky road, I think is probably the best way to, to put it, because I'm not sure the new administration has a clear strategy here after we get past the headline. Right, right. Uh, well, where does the U.S. stand in, you know, in the global supply of, of critical materials for batteries, and, and, and how much of that is actually located in the U.S.? I, I read somewhere that China controls about 75% of the worldwide uh, cobalt refining capacity. I'm sure that's not the only material where they enjoy a healthy majority. No, no. I mean, I, I think the U.S. is, is, is quite, it, for raw materials, is, is quite a long way behind the... Uh, the eight ball here. Um, I think that China is, I mean, 75 or 72% of all batteries are still produ are produced in China. Uh, as I said, 82% of the world's tungsten is produced there. Uh, and lithium, I think they're also 75% of the world's lithium is produced there. So they, they but this is not a, a program that's happened overnight. They spent 30 years putting in place 
these supply chains for critical metals, industrial metals. And so there's a lot of catching up to be done. Um, but currently in the U.S., there is very little uh, physical capacity. Okay. So speaking of you know, a global share, what, what would you say is the most critical material for next-gen batteries, and, and how does the global share of that break down? Well, I mean, I suppose that the one constant in these batteries is lithium. I mean, they use tungsten in, in, in a combination with niobium as an anode for the rapid charging, but the, you use uh, very small amounts of both niobium and tungsten. But for lithium, is probably the, the most... It's, well, it's, it's one of the most important. Are, the problem is none of them work without each other. So it's no point just having one and not the others because then you're in exactly the same problem. You must have a dependable supply chain. Uh, that you have access, whether it be domestic or whether it be through international allies with, well, with countries with real legal systems, which with enforceable contracts. So I, I think it's, uh, again, it's not just pinpointing one particular raw material. You have to look at the entire program because one doesn't work without the other. Well put, well put. So let, let's cut to the chase. In your opinion, what proportion of the skills involved in coal mining are transferable to mining critical materials for batteries? I'm, Amonti has, has been operating in hard rock and, and open pit tungsten operations for five generations. Our, our longest serving mine is in Portugal. It's been running for 126 years without interruption. I, I think we have a fairly good sense on skill sets required for processing. In our experience, uh, the, the act of, of extraction of coal is very different from, say, liberating uh, mineral from uh, granite. It is a, it is a, a, you know, a very different skill set. Um, and I think ultimately when we talk about they're saying, oh, they're going to send all the people in the, mine, in the coal mines to work in, in strategic metal mines, well, that's working on the assumption that the whole communities, you know, that these mines don't exist next door to each other. You have a coal mine. Generally, when you have carbon deposits, you, you, you don't find uh, mineralized deposits. This is a well-trodden path. A well-trodden path. So you're asking people to retrain, which is retraining is, is relatively straightforward. I, I don't think there's anything that we do in, in, in mineralization, hard rock mining that's different from, you know, that, that they wouldn't be comfortable with. But location, you're talking about entire communities that will have to be essentially uh, uprooted because these new mines, A, don't exist currently, and B, are not in the same jurisdiction that you're currently working in. And, and I think one thing to remember, it's very important, to open a new mine under the new ESG, well, not new, but the, the ESG that governs all of us now, you're looking three to four years in planning just to start, at least two years for permitting, and another two, two and a half years of construction to ramp up. You're talking eight and a half years. So, you know, I think the, the consensus is, you know, basically give yourself a 10-year period is reasonable. But what do these guys do? in that period because you, you don't require someone to mine while you're designing, building, and permitting. Hmm. Well, Lewis, again, while, while keeping it apolitical, let's say, will, will coal energy go obsolete in the near future or do we need legislation 
uh, to, for early obsolescence or there will always be a place for it? Well, I mean, I think if I speak from a personal, a personal perspective, I think ultimately the advances in the technology of, say, the scrubbers that they use on the coal-fired plants to control emissions has got extremely good. I think that to date, there is very little to support saying that alternative ways of generating energy are as cost-efficient or as, as energy-efficient as a coal-fired plant. Um, I think that in the medium to long term, I think we all have to accept the reality that the image of coal is such that politicians will ultimately remove it or, stop, or basically stop encouraging it because it's a hot-button issue. People get very sensitive about coal without really, I think, understanding. I mean, China has coal-powered plants, and I think it's well accepted that it's extremely polluting. But, I mean, for instance, I'm aware of plants in, in say, Alabama. These scrubbers that they use on the emissions are quite extraordinary. The technology that's been developed to control emissions is, is really something. But it's, it essentially comes down to an image problem. The vast majority of people, they know coal as a dirty fuel. Um, you know, is it any different from diesel? Is it any different from gasoline? I mean, it's, it's a carbon fuel. There is a, is a, the pros and cons. So I think in the medium to long term, I don't see its survival, but I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's been based on a rational approach. I think it'll be based because of emotional reasons. Very interesting. Well, thanks, Lewis. Uh, on behalf of PSD, I want to thank you for your time. And to our audience, thanks for tuning in. Stay, stay safe and healthy and have a great day.